Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. so excited about this episode of the podcast, you guys, episode number 28, featuring an interview with Dan Reynolds of Imagine Dragons, who is such a great dude. I'm so glad we got to spend time together talking about his creative journey, childhood influences, early efforts at beatboxing, which you will hear documented in this recording, and also about his relationship with his religion. And some of that is uh, featured in the documentary that he starred in and co-executive produced that came out last year, Believer, which finds Dan uh, coming to reckon with Mormonism's homophobia, I guess, basically. I watched uh, Believer the night before I met up with Dan at his place in Los Angeles, and I cried a lot of tears. Uh, Love Loud 3, the third installment of the festival Dan put together, um, in which you can see coming together in Believer is happening in a couple of weeks. It'll feature sets by Dan himself. He's doing a solo set, as well as Kesha and Tegan and Sarah. And an upcoming LSQ guest, Laura Jane Grace, is playing at Love Loud 3 as well. I'm also excited in episode 28 to debut a new segment you'll be hearing occasionally on the show, where I interview someone who's known for something other than making music themselves, but who is equally obsessed with music on the side. In this case, it's my dear pal, actor, talk show host, the bold and beautiful Busy Phillips, so that's coming up after this interview with Dan. Thank you so much, Dan Reynolds, for joining me on the LSQ podcast. Thanks for having it's me. It's awesome to be here with you in uh, glamorous, glorious California. By we're the up, chickens. We're up on the top of the hill. By the chickens. I said hi to the chickens yeah. on my way up the hill. Do you do you collect the eggs from the chickens? Do, yeah. It's a daily thing. Yeah, every day in we get. Day? In the winter, you get like three to four eggs. Oh. In the summer, though, it's a lot more. I would, I, my dream is to someday have livestock, but that's a topic for another time. I need to find a situation in the future where I can have works. some rabbits and some chickens, you know, whatever it take, else. It takes a lot of, um, it's like you don't realize how much time it takes. Right. So everybody's always like, I want to have some goats and make like <laughs> goat cheese and stuff. But then it just, because I always wanted to do it, but then it was like, finally we've done it. And it's like every day you have to go in, like clean out the poo. Yeah. You're you like, this is, this is micro farming. Yeah. And they're, they can be a little, and birds can be a little unpredictable. Right. Like it feels so uh, prehistoric and dinosaur So you go in and it's like, 
I don't know how to explain it, but they just get excited and it's they'll like flap at you and it's just I don't know. Wow. I've never been afraid of animals, but it took me a second with bird like to be I think when I was little I got pecked by one, so I have a weird like peck fear, you got a peck Yeah, fear. like on my thumb or something. I remember when I was really <laughs> Um, I have to say I watched Believer last night and cried so many tears. Uh-huh. I was not prepared for the volume of water that would be exiting my eyeballs watching that. And I'm guessing that you weren't either prepared for what, when the idea arrived to make a a film about this, about this experience, Mm. that it would be as emotional as, as what we can see you go through in in the movie. Yeah. I think, you know, growing up as a privileged, uh, heterosexual male, you know, who had a couple friends that were gay and Mormon, that was my only experience with seeing how hard it was to juggle religion and your parents telling you what you should feel guilty about and then also your sexuality the only like peer into that world that i had was as a young mormon kid who's 12 or 13 year old don't masturbate and it's like telling a 13 year old boy yeah (laughs) it's like it's it's you know feeling guilty about something that's really natural right. and yeah. fighting against your own innate sense right and so that was my only you know understanding of guilt with something that maybe i shouldn't have felt guilty about right. in fact i for sure shouldn't have felt guilty about yeah so then i think but when you really dive into going into the homes of parents who are mormon and their child has just come out to them and they don't know how to deal with it or they just lost a child to suicide it's and what you see in the film, it's just so much heavier and you really are faced with the reality of what these LGBTQ kids face within all Orthodox religion, not just Mormonism, even though the documentary documents Mormonism. Right. But you see that, you know, that little glimpse of false guilt that I felt they feel times 10. It's their entire life. Their sexuality is never allowed to be okay. Yeah. Not even with the within the walls of marriage, which that's when it's like with Mormonism, it's like once you're married in the temple, then it's okay. Uh, it's yeah. It was an intense viewing experience, and I appreciate so much that you made that, and I'm sure it's helped a lot of people just to even have something something uh, offering that much empathy that didn't exist before. But I'm so curious since. The film got made. Obviously, it sort of it, it takes a kind of dramatic turn at the end. I don't want to spoil it for people who haven't seen it. But mm. what has happened since the film wrapped? Is the yeah. next Love Loud? Are the wheels in motion for that to happen this year? Yeah. And have there been any other? I don't know dispatches or mm-hmm. yeah. So that the documentary shows the first Love Loud, um, which as you see almost didn't happen because there were so many things, forces fighting against it in Utah, which is right. the home of Mormondom, especially to do it in like Southern Utah and Provo, which is BYU, right. which is a college I went to and got kicked out of. That's another story. <laughs> but, um, no, we'll get to that. Yeah. <laughs> so then last year we did Love Loud 2, which was in a oh, stadium. Last year was Love Loud 2, okay. Mm-hmm. So last year was Love Loud 2 and we did it in a stadium to 35,000 people, sold out, amazing Really incredible experiences, you know, bigger than the first year, which was 15,000. And then we're doing it again this year. Now we're finally branching it out to taking it off of the back of Imagine Dragons and kind of bringing in a lot of different acts, Mm -hmm. diversifying it and really letting it kind of grow in its own way. And so we have speakers, we have musical acts, but it's really just 
it's to give these kids who are in, you know, Southern Utah, a place that feels safe and to make it more mainstream and for them to feel like, Hey, I'm not alone. I'm not the only queer kid. There are all these people that love me and all these allies that love me, even within my faith. And I think that's really important. And the whole point of the documentary was growing up with Mormonism. I know that when people on the outside, you know, yell at you and are like, you, you know, you're in a cult or you like, that's bullshit. You don't hear any of it. You just shut your door and lock it. But when someone on the inside, like a fellow Mormon, is like, hey, I don't know about blah, blah, blah. You're like, you take it seriously. And you're like, huh, you know, I respect this person. They understand me and they understand the path that I've been on. And the on. context. Exactly. Yeah. And so my goal was to really be on the inside and say, hey, look, I understand Mormonism. I still have ties to it in my own certain ways. Um Let's all sit down and talk about something that's really broken within Orthodox religion, which is that we're literally killing our kids because of guilt and spiritual guilt and, you know, making them feel guilty about something that they should be celebrating, which is their sexuality, which is unchangeable. And we're telling them you can change it or, you know, if you don't change it, you can just be celibate. It's yeah. like, hey. <laughs> You'll be able to do it, says all these old heterosexual males, men who are happily married with a bunch of kids. are like, come on, you can do it. It'll be fine. Just be celibate. Like, Thanks, old 60-year-old guy with a bunch of kids who's heterosexual. Let, you know what? Get yourself a Nintendo Switch. Yeah. You'll be fine. Yeah, just yeah. play that whenever you yeah. want to do it. Or just marry. Or they say, so It's it, your options are celibacy or mixed orientation marriage, which is marrying someone weird outside term. your sexual Such a weird term. preference. Yeah. I know, right? I'll face north, you face east. That'll be us. We're yes. mixed orientation. <laughs> yep. You'll be fine. So it's really, they're just left. And then, then they see these high rates of depression and anxiety and suicidality. And they say, well, it's probably because the, you know, the, the, the high elevation of Utah, that's why they have the leading rate of suicide oh amongst. God. And it's like, no, the, the elevation has been the same. And yet the depression and anxiety rate has just skyrocketed. So there's, no, that's not what it is. Nobody wants to face the fact of what it is, is these kids are feeling just like there's no hope for them. Yeah. Well, there's, they've been told, yeah. they've, they've explicitly been told that there's no hope for them. Yeah. Yeah. It's and honestly, it's worse to me. I think when leaders of Orthodox religion say we have, there's a place for you. Hey, you know, LGBTQ youth, there's a place for you. We need you. You know, there's so many talks with just within Mormonism, which I'm sure is all Orthodox religion, yeah. where these leaders say, you know, to, to, they don't even say LGBTQ youth. They, I mean, that's, they would never say that. They say to those who have same sex attraction, right. who struggle with same sex attraction, there's a place for you. And there's like this open door and a bright light inside. And then it's like, but come inside and there's tacks all over the ground. It's like, it's not safe. Yeah. I would rather they say there's no place for you. Yeah. Because then these kids won't have this illusion of having their faith, which is really like, it's really important to people who are raised. Yeah. Unless, unless you really find your own way and deal with a spiritual crisis and go through maybe some therapy to deal with the spiritual abuse and all those things, you're going to maybe end up being in that religion because it's just it's your baseline. It's your foundation. Whether it's bullshit or not, you're like, ah, I don't really care if it's bullshit because it's my foundation. It's scary to think of life without it. Yeah. So. Yeah. It's interesting too, because I think people, I mean, even just myself watching Believer being reminded that, you know, 
it's not just a religion it's a culture if you're from where you're from in the same way that any other geographically based culture is just something that's part of you and the you know being a being a myself a coastal elite uh, as they call it or whatever (laughs) you know you just think like oh if they if you were born into or indoctrinated into a religion as a child that you as you grow up start to question or don't think it's right you know, you just leave it. You're just like, yeah. ah, I don't, I'm a lapsed Catholic or like, right. I don't go to temple anymore because it's hypocritical or whatever you might right. be your thing. And that's like what I'm used to where I'm just like, oh, you think watching it, I ask myself like, why wouldn't one just leave this religion? Totally. And then you see these people talking about how painful it is to be excommunicated, to be made to leave, that it's not just this, you know, that people like myself who have a blasé attitude about religion, like right. that you could just be like, uh, don't do that bullshit anymore. Right. It's like, oh, no, I it's see not that it's bullshit. False. Okay. It's not bullshit. Yeah. It's part of your whole world and you want to keep the good parts. Why should you have to throw out the baby with the bathwater or something totally. like that? Which is which is an interesting way of looking at people who are devoted to their religion that like you know to me that was an, an interesting way that it, it it spoke to me you know it's just a re- religion is a really complex thing yeah. when it's not blase when it's not hey we go on christmas and easter when it's really your whole life growing up it's you're telling some of the when someone on the outside would say hey just tell the kid to lead leave mormonism like i've had so many people just be like why didn't you just make a documentary and show how bad mormonism <laughs> is and then say hey mormon kids leave right and the answer to that is because you're going to put them in a way less safe situation because there's a lot of complexities. One, these kids, maybe they're tied to their family is religion. And is that a right thing? No. Should your parents only love you if you're Mormon? No. But does that happen? Yeah, for yeah. sure. So then that kid is maybe kicked out of the home, which I had friends growing up who, when they questioned Mormonism, one of my good friends growing up, um, I was... He's a, he's a famous singer in a band, but I'm not going to say who he is. But there's not a lot of choices. I grew up in Las Vegas. There's only so many fans there. He was Mormon. And he, when he questioned religion, had to move out of the house at a yeah. young age and live in an apartment by himself because of his parents didn't accept that he didn't follow the religion. Yeah. And that's a really scary thing. And yeah. so basically it's just, there's more complexity to it than just telling them, even if the kid knows it's not true or doesn't even believe it, it's like, right, but maybe I could just fake that so I can get along with my mom and dad and have like Sunday night dinner with them and not have like an argument. I want to go back though to your childhood. Okay. Tell me about the first kind of moments you remember feeling feeling musical, feeling something yeah. spark within you connected to music. So we all had to take piano lessons. So there's seven boys, one eight boys, one girl in my family. So nine kids, typical Mormon family. Um, all of us, my mom read some article that said that if your kids took piano lessons starting at the age of six for 10 years, that they would be better in academics. And my mom was all about academia, like had grown up and was valedictorian of high school and for college and really brilliant, brilliant woman. And so academia was super important to her. So we didn't really have a choice whether or not to get into music. At the age of six, we had intense piano lessons, recitals every year, learning all of Beethoven, Bach and Chopin and all that. And, but I wouldn't say that was my first musical experience because it wasn't by my own selection. It was kind of like, Okay, this is you go to school. And you had heard piano your lessons. brothers playing. Elder yeah, again. so Robert, actually my oldest brother, um, was really into Bob Dylan and 
um, he would go down into our basement and would just sing and play his guitar. And I would go down and I, I remember being like maybe nine or 10 and I would, all my brothers kind of had made fun of my voice and told me I had cookie monster voice when I tried to sing <laughs> and even talking. Cause I just had like a different, very raspy, weird voice. But with Robert, I would go down and I would sing harmonies. I would just, you know, one day I walked down, I was like, you know, like I can't, I think, he, I don't even know if it was Dylan. It was like, lower the curtain down on Memphis, lower the curtain down tonight. And I like was just singing harmonies from the top of the stairs. And he's like, man, come on, that sounds good. And I like came down and, was, and he had me sing harmonies. And I remember singing harmonies with my oldest brother, Robert, and feeling like, this is incredible. We're like working together and like doing this. And I felt bonded to my brother. So all my brothers started having like playing garage bands and, you know, little high school bands and stuff. And I desperately wanted to be with them and perform with them, but I had to find an instrument that none of them played so I could offer something to them. So then I took drum lessons, learned how to drum because I noticed none of my brothers knew how to drum. They all could play guitar or bass sing and I use that word very I mean they didn't really know how right. they were just like decent at it you but know? they would jam with each other in yes. the basement they had like ska it was when ska was okay. really it was nice. like nice. you know when ska had a movement it was like the aquabats oh my like, god totally yeah, yeah. Uh, save yeah, ferris uh, and stuff yeah yeah yeah, yeah oh, totally yeah. <laughs> so and they all played in, like one of them played sax one of them played like trombone or something right. so they had like this ska band called super ted in nice. high school and um so I learned how to play the drums so that I could drum with them. And you're like 10 or 11 yeah. or something. So yeah, so I, I think I started drum lessons at 11. Yeah. Right. So then I started playing drums in their high school bands. And they we would have like New Year's Eve parties. And it was like Mormon parties. So no alcohol. <laughs> just a bunch. And those just lots the, of skanking. Yeah, to, to, totally. Totally. Lots of dry skanking. Yes, that's exactly what it was. And Mormon kids are crazy as hell because they're all like so pent up, like sexual and like can't be sexual and not drinking. So it was just like crazy mosh pits and skanking and like you know me just playing like like ska you know totally so that was really my first like love for music i was like this is amazing and i loved drumming and then i took saxophone in middle school and played in jazz band with the, the tenor sax and then and you did have to keep the piano lessons going yeah until 16 time. so Rat 10 wow. years of piano and then guitar Guitar came in high school. I could just kind of watch my brothers and picked up on it from them. And yeah. And then I started really singing in high school. Then I started my own band in high school once my brothers were off to college. And and what, what were you listening to? What was the stuff that you, what, what were the artists that were really leaping off the radio At that to you? point, ska had gone out the window. I would, Honestly, I was never really into ska. I was into ska because my brothers were into ska. I still listen to it and I appreciate it, but it was never like, I was never putting it on. Like, I think the first record I bought when I was younger was like, I listened to a lot of 90s, like, angry women. Like, mm -hmm. that's what I really grew up on was like Alanis Morissette. Right. And like that whole 90s movement, I would sit by the, the radio in uh, at home. There was a station that was Mix 94.1, which back in the day was a really alternative leaning station. Now it's kind of more pop, but... I mean, in the 90s, alternative was pop. And right. so, And I would just sit with my tape recorder and I'd record songs that I liked. So I think I bought like Jagged Little Pill. And then I, I, I remember buying a, what was that 90s band that had that song that was like, they made up their mind and they started walking, left oh. before the sun came up that day. I can't remember who that was. 
But I bought that album. Oh, Fastball. Yes. And they had, they had like, was I out of my head? No was like, I out of my mind? How could I ever be so blind? You know, yeah. <laughs> like, so it was just like, you know, like good 90s, bad 90s. Like I just consumed it all and I loved it. I loved like everything from like Tupac and Biggie. I listened to a lot of hip hop, which I had to hide from my parents because it was like, so explicit for a Mormon home, but I would listen to it in my car, right. like 98.5 in Las Vegas had like hip hop. And then like, <laughs> um, right. And did you, what, did you go to concerts at all as a kid? I wasn't really allowed to. Right. I was allowed to go to one concert and it's cause my older brothers were going. So I went with them to the house of blues when I was 16, I think, and saw G love and special sauce. Nice. Who was touring through. Yeah. And that was awesome. I loved, I thought G love was great. But yeah, so that was a cool experience, and I got to go with my brothers, which was nice. Um, but no, I never went to a festival. The first festival I went to was when we performed at a festival. Wow. As Imagine Dragons. I had never been allowed to go to a festival, or we just didn't even have the money for it. It was yeah. like when you have nine kids, and one yeah. of your kids is like, hey, can I go to a festival? It's like, <laughs> no, because then your brother's going to want to go. Like, and Dan, you yeah. should have been born earlier in the series. Yeah, <laughs> right? Sorry. Seriously. <laughs> the seventh son gets like, the like Robert gets to go to a festival, Yeah, right. you don't get to go to a festival. <laughs> Yep. And and at what point did you start playing around with writing songs? When I was 13, uh, my older brother Mac, who's now my manager, had this program on the computer called Cakewalk. And he had one microphone that he got for his birthday. And I would watch him record songs. And I thought it was amazing. And I mean, I would just watch from behind him. If I got too close, he'd be like, what the hell? Get out of here. What the heck? What the heck, man? Like punch me in the arm or something. So I would have to like peek from afar. I learned how to like hit record and like make tracks. And so I didn't know how to play guitar at that point. I knew how to play piano, but that was in the whole other room. So I couldn't record piano. So then I had to teach myself to beatbox because I was all, I had one microphone when he was gone. I would get on, I'd go get his microphone from his room, plug it in. Right. Well, I had this little gap of time and then started recording songs. So I remember the first song I recorded was all beatboxing. It was like, it was called, in fact, I remember it was called All By Himself. I was in, I was in middle school and I was like the most emo, had a big gap in my teeth and an expander with a key that you had to turn every night. It just made the expand, your gap bigger. I had the hugest ass gap <laughs> and braces and rubber bands, <laughs> the worst acne ever. Beatboxing must yes. have hurt. Yeah. So I was like. I had this song that was like the most emo song where I, the bass line was me going, I was like, and then I stacked a bunch of like vocals that were like, oh, oh, by himself, no other one around. He stood all alone. When would he be found? Did he want company? You know, there's like this kind of like bunch of vocal stacks. And then that night I showed it to my dad when he got off work, which I would never see him because he worked, you know, crazy hours from 8 a.m. to 6 p.m. Would come home just for dinner, was an attorney. Um, and I knew he loved me. He loved music so much. And his music taste was closer to me than my brother's. All my brothers listened to a lot of ska, like I said, but he listened to a lot of Paul Simon, Cat mm. Stevens, um, Harry Nelson. Right. Harry Nelson was his favorite of everyone. And I loved Harry Nelson. Um, so I, but I things with, with strong singing, it sounds like. Yeah. Yeah. Very, very much like singer songwriters, yeah. distinctive voices, very versatile. Like Harry Nelson had everything from, but then he had like, 
Everybody's talking at me. Uh, he had so many incredible yeah. songs, covers, and just... He was but, the Beatles' um, favorite songwriter. He was, yeah. Yeah, that's no... no yeah, thing. and we watched The Point, which was like the movie that he made with, with Ringo. And, Did but, the Beatles factor into your... Was that was the Beatles yeah. around at all? Or? We listened to the Beatles a lot in my house. I, I preferred Harry Nelson to the Beatles. I liked them, yeah. and I definitely like know all their main songs and stuff. Yeah. But I'm not the person who's like, I know every song off the White Album, or... I don't know what that is, a little gnat or something. Sorry. But yeah, I, I like the Beatles, but it's not like... I never got into like Sgt. Pepper. Right. I really preferred their like poppy stuff. I was really into pop, poppy melodies, sing, singer-songwriters that were very... like I would like cry listening to Father and Son by Cat Stevens in my oh, bed yeah. at night. Like it was like... <laughs> that spoke to me. Like Graceland by Paul Simon I just thought was the greatest thing ever. I still do. I love that album so much. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. So I mean, it must it's, it must be interesting now reflecting on like Cakewalk and one microphone, et cetera, like how how inspiring limitations can be. I mean, right. have you have has that been a has that been a thing in you know writing albums uh, with Imagine Dragons where you've ever kind of tried to come up with a limit to impose to help shake things up and as far as songwriting or a... no? In fact, I wish I would say. The limitations of Imagine Dragons have, have been more difficult for me. I, I love Imagine Dragons. I love everything we've done. I enjoy the band. I enjoy writing for the band. But those limitations have made me feel like, okay, I need a little break. Because I feel like I know what Imagine Dragons needs to sound like. I know what it is. Um, it's, it's really, it's a pop band. And it's poppy music. And I love pop. And I love, I love writing that. But it's also very angsty. Um, we started it when I was in a super angsty place in my life. And I was dealing with a lot of depression, fallout from religion, going through a spiritual crisis. So I was really obsessed with the themes of guilt, feeling sorry, like kind of teenage angst. I was stuck as a 14, 15-year-old kid who was like, is Joseph Smith real? Like, what the hell? I don't know if he's real. And if he's not, then shit, maybe we die and... Maybe we die and, you know, there's nothing. And I don't know, that just really, really messed with me. So I was obsessed with that. But now that we've been a band for 10 years, I feel kind of limited by that a little bit. Like, I know we could write a record and I could do whatever I want. We could do something totally different. But we just haven't because, um, yeah, and I think already with Imagine Dragons, from the very beginning, we kind of said, we created a large box for ourselves. For better or for worse, we said, okay, here's... Our first single was kind of this folky song, It's Time, and it was like stomps and claps. And then our second single was like Radioactive, which was like, you couldn't be more different. It was like this dubstepy, urban, screamy thing. And then the third song was Demons, which was kind of like Radioactive, but nothing like It's Time. Like they were, yeah. It's Time we recorded before we ever got um, signed, just as our we self-produced it. And then Radioactive, I wrote with Alex the Kid, who's a hip-hop producer. Right. So it was, it was just... 
two different worlds, which was cool and fine. And it made it so we could get away with a lot with our fan base. They weren't like, hey, you need to sound like this. Like we could do a lot. But it still had these confines, at least for me, it did as a writer, where it had to fit certain parameters. Um, it had to like the songs that we just gravitated towards. I would write like 50 to 100 demos per record. And the band, we would all listen to it, and then we'd pick our favorites, and it just always ended up being kind of this certain kind of thing that was like angsty. fifty to a hundred. That's crazy. Yeah, well, well, honest. So when I started <laughs> writing when I was thirteen, so what I I found I fell into this habit where whenever my brother would leave, I'd go record, and he'd go to a friend's house, you know, at least three to four times a week. So I was making three to four demos a week. So I've I have written from that age, like for better or for worse. I'm not saying these are good songs, but I've written probably over a thousand songs. Are they songs? Are they ideas? I don't really know, but they're a piece of music that you can listen to that I created that, you know, is like three to four minutes or five minutes. Yeah, that counts. Yeah. And I mean, so, so, but it's, for me, it's not even like, it's not even like I need to write all these songs to get good ones. It was, it really is like, it's my journal entry. I enjoy it so much. It's just what you're doing all the time. Yeah. It's like what I still do every day is I sit down on my computer and I write music. Because it's cathartic for me. It's like my, if I don't do it, at least three to four times a week, I start to feel really angsty and weird about myself. It's like an obsessive compulsive person who writes in their journal. Like that's how I am about music. And is it, is it the three or four times a week when you actually sit down or at a minimum when you sit down and, and do it? Uh, Or is there music in your head at that point? Or do you sit down and it's quiet and then you press a button to to hear? Is that an abstract question? I know. No, no, no. That's a great question. Are you already hearing the thing when you sit down or do you sit down and say, okay, come to me? I sit down and say, come to me. Okay. That really is what I'll sit down and whatever vibe I'm in, that's what ends up coming out. So for instance, yesterday I came in here and I sat down and I was feeling really, I was feeling... Kind of like the winds of change. Like I was just like, life is going really good. Like I'm in a good place. I'm like feeling very creative and a little eccentric. And so I created this song. It was quite eccentric and a little wild. And, you know, but last week when I sat down, you know, I was in the really awful place. I was like sad and I sat down and wrote like the saddest. And it was raining outside in LA nonstop. I hate the rain and I'm like such a weather dependent person. And so I wrote a really like sad song. It's like, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't sit down. And I'm like, remember that melody I wrote the other day and I recorded on a voice memo? Like, I'm not that kind of writer. I sit down. I'm very like in the moment and I track it and then I'm done. Like I, I've written with a lot of songwriters now, especially this last year, I've started to write for other just like pop artists and to see how different I am as a songwriter has been really eye opening to me. Like people put the like, sit down and be like, let's vibe on this. And then tomorrow let's come back to it and we'll finish it this week. And I'm like, what do you mean? We're not, I can't go home. Like we need to complete this idea guys. Like very like impulsive, very like for better or for worse. I'm like, that take was perfect. Don't do it again. They're like, no, no, no. But I mean like, let me sing like five takes of it. I'm like, no, no, no. That was like, you caught the moment. Like I'm very yeah. impulsive in that way. I'll come in and I'm just like, this is fun. Let's do this guys. And I think I genuinely feel like most writers who co-write with me are probably like, this is a crazy person. I like to some level. Right. Because I, I it, like I get pacey when I'm excited. Like I have yeah. certain things that are very, I'm just very like, just been in my own world with it. I've never been in the co-write world where you sit in a room and write with someone else. Right. So it's very like, 
it's it's a hard process for oh, someone yeah. else to be like, well, let's question this melody. Let's do five other melodies and record them all and then listen to it. And I'm like, no, no, no. Like, we have a melody. What are you talking about? Like, right. <laughs> we did the melody. Let's move on to, like, the lyrics. Like, I just... Right, yeah. right. Well, that's interesting because that's a sort of, like, exploring whether it's possible to be to be not the artist yourself, but to be the producer and to, uh, you know, which I'm sure potentially could be a whole zone of work yeah. going forward for you if you if you actually you know like doing it yeah that's kind of what i'm doing this year isn't th- we're going to take off some time with the band for i don't even know how long like a hiatus of some sort um and i just i'm just going to start to just create like back it's this week is you're catching me at like a really strange point because this is the first week that i've written not for imagine dragons in my own time mm-hmm. whereas all before this for the last like years every song i write i'm like in the back of my head is like, okay, it needs to fit these parameters for Madden Dragons. It needs to like fit a certain form. It needs can't be longer than three to four minutes. It needs to be able to play on radio in case it's a great pop song that you write right now. Um, you know, it, it needs to be palatable to to your fan base, which means it needs to sound like this. It needs to mm-hmm. like I I in my head, Imagine Dragons is like I know what that world is. I know what it looks like. You know, for better or for worse, I. It's like I can identify it and I can create in that boundary. But now this week I've been like creating like how I created when I was like 13, 14, which was I sat down and it was like just create. It must have been interesting to go. It sounds like um, and and I want to hear you talk a little bit about the, the period of time when it went from seeming like your new band that you'd started was just going to be a struggling thing that, yeah. you know, your parents were worried that you wanted to do this to pretty quickly, you know, by rock band standards or whatever, becoming an actual commercial success. Yeah. Because you must have, it sounds like you went into it not think. you know, you would have had, had your band even if nobody liked it at that point. Yeah, no, I think if you're, if you're a level-headed person to any degree and you think that you're going to create a band and it's going to be successful, especially now, but even 10 years ago, it was already this way. When we would tell people, hey, we're going to start a band, and even when I told my oldest brother, who was in the music industry, hey, I want to start a band and I want, you know, to be able to do this. It's laughable. It's like, good luck. It's it's a great hobby. Go ahead, you know, and maybe you'll be able to make a little bit of money, but you're not going to be able to support yourself forever. And this Especially is, as a rock band. Right. And this is, for context, for listeners, I'm th- that would have been what in... 2009. Right. And yeah. Robert, your oldest brother, yep. manages the Killers, yep. who obviously are... Tremendously successful, and, and so even for for him to yeah. even think like you know, and in spite of what I've witnessed happen with this really good band that yep. became this successful, it's still very unlikely that you're going to be able to make it. He was like, you know, it's one in a billion. Yeah. Uh, Did he, you formulate a backup? Like, what would have been? What would you have done with yourself well, professionally so I, or something? I, I was in a weird place because so I was attending BYU. Well, first I, I got accepted into BYU and right before I was supposed to go, I got kicked out because they do this ecclesiastical thing where they you sit down with someone and they interview you. And I didn't, I wasn't living. It's like religion interview. Yeah. It was like, are you doing drugs? Are you having sex? And and I'm just an honest person. You're like, all of the other <laughs> yeah, I was like, well, what drug do you want to talk about? <laughs> but so then, I, so then I got kicked out and then I had explained to my parents why I got kicked out, um, which was awful and you know i was the first kid in my family i had seven brothers ahead of me who had all gone to byu right and so i was the first to break that chain so then i stayed home went to unlv like you know and all my mormon friends found out they got kicked out of 
BYU. So all the mom, Mormon moms were like to their daughters, because you date within the religion. Right. They're like, you can't date Dan Reynolds. He's he's a bad kid. He has sex or something. You know what I mean? It was like I was labeled, and I was I was honestly a pretty vanilla kid. Like right. by all like regards, I was like still living like i had sex with my girlfriend of four years right right that was it so it was like okay living crazy rock star over here alert alert (laughs) but um anyway so then i stayed home went to unlv then i went to byu and this is funny but so the fbi really loves mormons because you get off your mission so i went on a two-year mission to omaha nebraska you don't get to pick where you go obviously you just be you become very disciplined, like how you see in the Mormon musical. Like I can't help but like do square hands and be like, "Hello, my name is Elder Reynolds." But you're really like you wake up at six a.m. You knock on doors all day. You're clean living. You don't smoke. You don't drink. You don't have any addictions. You're you're like you're perfect for the FBI. They're like, oh, they feel really guilty if they lie. They think that God's going to condemn them to hell, so they're not going to lie. Right. They're not going to get addicted to drugs because if they do drugs, they feel like they're going to hell. So. These are the perfect people to hire. So they come to BYU routinely. Oh, and they wow. Like Interesting. Put, like try to get Mormons. So they came to the college and I was like, maybe I want to be in the FBI. Because all my brothers were had boring-ass careers, in my opinion. They were right. doctors and lawyers. And I was like, <laughs> boring and, and boring. And maybe a doctor would be cool, but way too hard and way too long of school. <laughs> and so then I was like, FBI, maybe I'll be like undercover agent. Like just yeah. little kid thoughts still. But yeah. I was excited by it and thought, you know, maybe I'll be in the CIA or something. Then I sat down and my mom had this really straight talk with me. And she was like, I want you to picture that someone just like is doing something wrong and you have to pull out a gun and you had to shoot them. How do you feel? And I was just like, oh, <laughs> I was like, well, I I don't know. Mom. I never thought about that. I don't, I don't, I don't know. I feel terrible if I had shoot someone i don't know and she was like yeah i was like okay i'm gonna start a band she was like whoa wait <laughs> now if the person was a bad person you it would be okay to shoot that person <laughs> like she was like let's go back to the fbi route you know so then you know then i did, i was like i'm gonna defer a semester and really give this band a go and my mom you know, re- reluctantly was like, okay, you can defer one semester. And then we deferred it and we just started to really take off. Like we just started to sell out a bunch of venues across Utah. We won like some battle of the bands mm-hmm. and different things. So then we moved out to LA or to back to Vegas and started to play in LA at like the Viper Room and just to, started to drum up some buzz and then, and then the band got signed. And then it just, so it just, it was like that one in a billion thing happened. Right. And so I... Look, I, the whole thing of like strange happenings in the universe and like the, the the book, The Secret and all that stuff, like if you like think about it every day and you like, I prayed about it all growing up and I really believed in prayer. Right. Like now I'm in a different place in my life, but I really was like praying every day, like, God, I really love music. And if I could do music, let me do it. And yeah. and then it all happened. And then I was like, okay, see you later, religion. <laughs> God was like, what the hell? <laughs> I answered your prayer, man. <laughs> that is not how it's supposed to work. Uh, I got to go on tour. Sorry. I'm like, yeah, yeah, pretty much, yeah. <laughs> Don't worry. I'll be back. Uh, I'll be back. <laughs> what do you, but what do you credit with, uh, what do you credit with exciting people early on about the band? What do you think it was it when you're being, when you're, when you're being yeah. kind to yourself and looking at what was, what was genuinely special about it early on? What do you think people were attracted to? I think... One, for whatever reason, whatever I listened to growing up, or I don't know if you're born with it or whatever, I think I had a good pop sensibility. So when I wrote melodies, I even when I started, 
I felt like I wrote good melodies and then I showed it to people and they were like, oh, that's a really catchy melody. And just, I think that's like something either you learn or you're born with. I don't really know. So I think pop sensibility really mm-hmm. helped. And then I think we had a really divisive sound, which is, I think is really good for a band. I think that I would rather people listen to Imagine Dragons and say, I hate this or, whoa, that's super weird. I love this. Rather than people listen to it and be like, I don't really care. I don't know. They can't really ignore it because it's like this guy kind of screaming at them at times, <laughs> like literally. So they're like, all right, well, there it is. But so I think between the pop sensibility, I think, and then we got labeled as a, as a rock band, which is fine. And, and you know, we play our instruments live and we have a guitarist who plays on songs. So, but then we got put into this category well, where we got an unfair advantage, I think, to everyone because we were just writing pop music that was really catchy and earwormy. And then we were put up with a bunch of like other artists who were doing really alternative music. Mm. So then radio, we got, you know, we would just kill the radio charts every time we go on the alternative chart because we'd really catchy music and it's all based on feedback and research. So they're getting this research that's like, well, people like it and it's, they remember this Imagine Dragons song. So it just moves up and spins. And then every song we put out would just go number one on alternative radio. And then after we went number one alternative radio, then we'd slowly go up the top 40 chart and they would already see that we were at number one on alternative for this long. So they gave us the benefit of the doubt. So I think between writing really poppy music, existing in a rock sphere, which I think had its benefits and its pros and cons. The pros were we did great on radio. The cons were... I think that it was really confusing for rock people, rock critics. They were like, well, this isn't rock, but why is it sitting in rock? And I'm like, I don't care. Yeah, I don't know. I didn't put us here. So, yeah, it's I, feel like it's weirder, and I feel like it's weirder now than ever before because in an age when everyone who observes music listening habits will agree that young people especially new music fans um don't have no regard for genre and they're not bothered about it in that's at that same time we are you know breaking things down into tinier categories with even more niche uh sentence length playlist names right. you know where it's just like it's not this is not just a rock playlist it's a you know, it's right. a mid, it's a whatever nighttime, they, nighttime, night, a dinner vibe. It's nighttime like, dinner rock, yeah. nighttime dinner rock. Right. Where it's just like, if you like to eat breakfast for dinner though, this is the other playlist <laughs> right. that you should listen to for when you have pancakes with Bacon rock music eggs. at night. Yeah. Or, you know, if you, if you're looking for things that narrowly fit into these, these categories, then once you put them in their ghetto, you don't let them out of that zone. Right. It just becomes that, okay, so if Imagine Dragons is an alt-rock band, then it's an alt-rock band, right. and like, don't worry about it. We've got it figured out. We've got its iTunes category, its Grammy category, its whatever category right. it needs to be in, and then you've got to kind of stay in that in that category. And I guess back in the day, when you think about artists like Ray Charles or right. something who made, you know, Ray Charles goes and makes a country record, and of course it's fucking great. Right. Nobody thinks like, oh, that's... I mean, not that nobody thought that was a, a, a shift, but... I don't know. It I imagine must be frustrating as an artist to feel like your fates are dependent on the category they put you in. Yeah. That you didn't ever really get to choose and that may not even feel to you or to fans like the right the right way, but yeah. you lose lose or gain opportunities based on competing within your category. Right. Yeah, I think it's it's a really strange time. I think that you know, a lot of people who say uh, have asked me the question or said to me 
you know, our rock band's dying. You guys are existing still. How are you doing it? And what are what do other rock bands need to do to break at this point? When's it going to turn from like pop to this? And I honestly, my answer to all them is I have no idea. Yeah, I don't right. know, man. I just when? Yeah, I'm like I I don't have some secret like combination or secret like tactic that got us here. To to me, the one thing I can say about our band that I'm proud of to this day is that. Whether we're pop act, whether we're rock, whatever alternative, whatever whatever we are, hip hop leaning, urban white guys playing rock, whatever it is, <laughs> we write everything. I write all my own lyrics. I write all my own melodies. We, you know, the guys play their instruments. Like we we play our parts. And for me, the difference between straight pop mm-hmm. and whatever else you want to call it, alternative or whatever it is, is the artist writes their music. I personally don't feel like I can criticize art when it is let me let me actually say this different. I can't criticize music when it's the honest output of an artist. If someone is given a song and they sing it, you know, I understand where you can say okay, this is this isn't for me or something. But when it, or yeah, I guess you can say that. Right. When, but it's when, a it comes, song, when it's by committee. Yeah, when yeah. It, yeah. But when it's like someone who's singing about something that's important to them and that's their honest output. I mean, I just, that to me is like, then it's just that person's reality. Um, or it's that song that they wrote in that moment, that day, how they were feeling. And the next day it's going to be different. And so I guess I just... That is the only thing about music that irks me a little bit is I'm like, well, you know, I understand if if Imagine Dragons isn't for for somebody or for the rock guy who wants their music to sound like rock. I don't know. But what Imagine Dragons is that I'm proud of is it is us. It's an honest output of me and my story and how Mm -hmm. I feel. And so whatever genre that is, wherever that lands, I can sleep okay at night. And it's the only reason that... I, I like I have felt the weight that I'm sure a lot of other artists have felt, which is when you create something and you're so precious about it, and especially if you create something that is really vulnerable for you, when other people criticize it, it hurts mm-hmm. a lot. You know, when I would write a song and it's like metaphorically speaking about feeling spiritually abused and feeling like so depressed because I felt like God hated me because I sinned. That is what I write about in my own way in these Imagine Dragon songs. And then someone would be like, this is horseshit. Been a produced band by blah, blah, blah. Made up shit. I'm just like, no. Like, that would be devastating to me. When we started the band, it was devastating to me. But where, where I ended up finding peace was knowing, well, this it's my honest output. It's, how, it's what I feel. And it's as long as I'm writing it and I know that it's honest for me, then I'm okay. Then I can be like, all right, I understand it's not for you. That's okay. And you're doing your job and you're saying what, how you feel about it. But I, I think that I would really be debilit- like debilitatingly harmed and hurt if I created a song that wasn't me or wasn't authentic to me or somebody gave me a song and then I put it out trying to win a, a chart or something and then it got criticized. Then I, I think it would have really hurt because um, I already have felt the hurt of you know just someone – a, a critic or a, you know that that's that was hard for me it was really hard for me in the first you know like five six years of the band right and i guess at the end of the day what has really helped me is one my wife is a real badass and she's always 
stood by my side and I, I, res I respect her and I respect her opinion and I respect who she is in, as an artist and everything she's created. And she's really given me a lot of strength um, in my weaker moments throughout the years when I'd really be bummed on something. And I think too, you know, I understand the notion of being like looking for something to let out your anger and try to feel better about your own things that you're bummed about. Like I, I catch myself, you know, being like, Oh, that that's really shitty. When I'll see something like a show or something, yeah. I'll come and be like, man, that was a shit show. That was a terrible movie. What a terrible movie. <laughs> or, this song is really bad. I do not like this song. Can you believe this is their new single? It's really not good. Or they're trying to be cool on this record. That sucks, man. Like I'll catch myself being that guy. Yeah. And the I think the good lesson that it's taught me that through this whole process is being like, right. But now you're you're just being that guy right now. And what are you? Where is that place you're talking from? Well, it's from a place of like me being bummed about that one person that or it started way back in elementary school i remember the first time i was reviewed it was this girl i had a crush on in fourth grade her name was whitney anderson <laughs> <laughs> and and i had this big crush on her and so did these other four guys and we all knew it and we all knew each other and we all knew we had a crush on this girl it was our first big crush we were in fourth grade it's like and the grammys wrote, of fourth grade. it was <laughs> and she took a piece of paper and she wrote all our names down she knew we had crushes on her and then she put personality and looks and then gave us a one to 10 on both of them. And she gave tens to everybody on everything except me. She gave me a seven on my looks and a 10 on my personality. And it was the only thing less than a 10 on the paper. And I, and I like, I was, I saw it and I was like, damn it. Like this whole time I thought I was like a decent looking kid, but now I'm a seven. I was like, my mind was blown. I was like, damn, I'm ugly. Like, I'm a seven, oh. shit. And all these guys are tens. And I, I remember I went up to her and I was like, she's like, did you see my note I passed around? I was like, yeah. She's like, what do you think? I was like, well, I was kind of bummed. I was like a seven. She's like, right, but I gave you a 10 for your personality. Your personality is a 10. And I remember really being, the walking away from that, being like, well, I guess I have a good personality, but... <laughs> The seven on looks, that's a bummer. Oh my God. And that was my reality. So savage. I guess, so I had to like, savage. yeah, right? So I've, I've really had to learn throughout my years to be like, right, but when someone tells you what you are, that's what that person thinks and that's not what you are. And you can't live by that or else it's just going to be debilitating. You know, there's, trust me, there's been times throughout the years in this band that I'm like, I just don't want to do it. Like I want to like take some time off, not do this band anymore, go do something else. Cause this, this is hurt. Like this has hurt me, but I guess that I just, I want to have a really great therapist and to have a great wife, um, who has just helped me to see past that and really understand the whole idea of someone being down in the Coliseum fighting this lion and it's being up in the stands and humanity. Sometimes they, they want that guy to die. They just do. They're like, die lion, kill him. This is going to be great. It's going to make me feel better about that shitty job. I have to go to tomorrow. Just kill the damn guy. Like, and then, but that guy is the one who's down there fighting the lion. And I'm like, you know, we're, we have, I'm so blessed. I'm in, I have these little girls that I love. I have this incredible wife. I'm in this band. that's like, one of the biggest bands in the world. I get to play these awesome shows. I love it. We have so many people who listen and it is meaningful to them. And so it sucks when I'm like listening to the one voice that's over there. that's like, right, but you're shit, you know? And it's like, oh, I am a seven, you know? So I just, I don't want to, I've, I've just learned to be like, no, I am a 10 because it's my truth. And I know that 
To me, I'm a 10. To my wife, I'm a 10. To my little girls, I'm a 10. To the people who come to the shows, I'm a 10. And that's enough for me. And you have to let that be enough or else, you know, it's, you're never going to be good enough. Yeah. And it's also exciting to know that you're alive and you can do anything that you want as time continues. I mean, it's interesting to hear you say, you know, earlier in the conversation, um, you know, to think about music beyond the context of Imagine Dragons and, you know, to be at a point where it's like, that doesn't, it sounds like, you know, that doesn't have to be the be all end all, not all of your creative Creative, expression has to be channeled into into that because there's not the fear anymore that like no we've got to re- it's the magic dragons is a thing it's the magic dragons remind right. them it's magic it's like no there's that's worked that's working right and it's safe now to do something to, else to do something else yeah and that's i think that's an important thing as an artist for me that i had to realize was you're not you're never defined by a piece of art one piece of art that you put out that, that what a limiting thing like or one or my this band that again i love and i'm i'm proud of and i love imagine dragons but that's not all i am as an artist there's a lot more that is inspiring to me there's a lot of other things that i want to do before you know the end of this time and i return to the mormon god you know <laughs> it's like i knew you'd be back <laughs> i gave you that band damn it <laughs> why'd you lose your faith <laughs> It's funny because I had this a conversation with my therapist yesterday where he was like, so, you know, do you believe in like intention and the whole thing? Like, and I was like, well, yeah, I definitely believe in it. And I told him the story. I was like, you know, all growing up, I, I would pray and all on my mission, you know, it was the hardest time in my life. It was like, it, it's not fun when you're a 19 year old kid for two years away from everybody, no phone to call home, no friends, no flirting with anyone it's knocking doors and talking about the bible and people are like well maybe some people like the bible and they think no it wasn't interesting to me the bible was boring as hell and i had talked about every day for two years right you know so but i had to because that's what you have to do And if you don't do it and you're mormon then you're seen as like a weak human being so Mm -hmm. when i was at this point where i was 19 i was like i don't know if it's true or not i didn't really have a choice i was like all my all my brothers ahead of me did this if i don't do this then everybody's like right what's wrong with dan though he can't hack it yeah, are you going to be homesick? Is that what it is? You're homesick? Can't leave for tears? Like, that's the culture. It's a really awful, terrible culture. And so it's like, you go out and you do that. And so I would pray every night when I was on my mission. I was like, when I get home, please let me be in a band. And I would have these dreams where I was like, I'd leave all religion and go like drink some beer and like smoke a cigarette. And I was like, this is the greatest dream on earth. <laughs> and then I'd wake up and it's like, my companion would be right by my bed. It'd be like, you don't get to select who it is. Like some... Sometimes, like, the most annoying guy doesn't brush his teeth. And he's like, Elder Reynolds, time for scripture study. And I'm just like, oh, like a nightmare. Like, it was super intense, you know. But, you know, you it's good because it humbles you and you learn to love people that typically you wouldn't love. And, you know, you learn how to tell people, hey, man, i really like it if you'd brush your teeth. That'd be cool. Like, you know, saying hard things that you don't want to say. Like, you learn. You well, taking the rejection, too, of doors closed in your oh, face. Oh, and it's being like 99 like, doors yeah. closed in your face. And people throwing a Slurpee at you. And it's like, you're already having a shitty day. I literally, a typical day for me, like I remember this one day where we knocked like 90 doors. Nobody let us in. Finally, this old woman was like, sure. And she opened her door and opened her screen door and then spit a loogie. Literally like, and spit a loogie that was like right on me. I don't, I mean like landed on my like white shirt. And then she's like, ha, 
mark it down in your books and get your money for this. And I'm like, we don't get paid money. And she just like slammed the door. I'm like, like so, so upset. You know, you paid 10, I had to save up $10,000 working shitty jobs growing up to go on a mission. And you're just like, no. And it's it my only shirt. Yeah. Yeah. And then it's like, and then later that day was the day I got a Slurpee thrown on me. We're like walking down the street. I'm like so upset. And some kids, like rich kids out the side of their ex- expedition are like, ha ah, piece of shit. And like throw a Slurpee. It's just like, you're just like, wow, this world really sucks. Like we're out here trying to like, whether it's bullshit and culty or not, at the end of the day, all we would do is knock doors and be like, can we like share a message with you about God? And if they say no, then you say, can we be of service to you in any way? And anything they tell you to do, you have to do. This is a secret, by the way. If a missionary knocks on your door, all these people who say no, I'm like, yo, you're missing out. You should say, I'm not interested in that, but will you paint my house and clean up all the poo in my backyard for my dog and do that and mow my lawn? And they have to say yes. They have to do all of it. It's like free. You get all this free work. So every once in a while you find a smart person who'd be like, they'd laugh and be like, oh, yeah, you want to roof my house? And you're like, yes, we'll learn how to roof. Okay. Uh, and then you go up and roof a house. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> well, I feel like having a Slurpee thrown at you and being able to, you know, shake it off is was was good preparation for having yeah, it's true. metaphoric Slurpee thrown at you and having to shake it off. It's true. <laughs> it really is. To, to me, it was like... I I am grateful for my mission. I love my mission. It was the hardest two years ever. I would never make my kid do it. Also, I have like my own issues with religion, period, anyway. But I'm grateful for it. It it made me like, it made me a better human being in a lot of ways. It messed with my mind and like this, like spiritual abuse in certain ways and like guilt complexes and stuff that I'm definitely not happy for. But, um, it was just part of my path, you know, yeah, like, you, led me to work. Yeah, yeah. So I wouldn't take it back. So you're, I know you do have some shows coming up. You mentioned that there may yeah. be a bit of a hiatus, but what are, what are you excited about for 2019 beyond, you know, some Imagine Dragons shows and still having a new album and stuff? Before I ever got into music, I, I um, did drama all growing up. So I did Shakespeare plays and then in high school I did like one acts and different things like, things like that. And I never... I wanted to explore that more. So I think I'm going to look into, I mean, the typical thing of every musician who wants to be an actor, an actor who wants to be a musician. But I think I do want to get into some sort of drama. I don't know if it's like being in a play down in New York or something or doing some sort of film or TV. Um, But if it was the right opportunity that felt cool, I'd be down for that. Um, So I've been looking at a couple of things like that. I've been creating a lot of music, like maybe doing soundtracking or something like that. Um, I don't know. It just feels really damn good to just be like okay i take some time off and i can just do something else that's inspiring for me and i think all the years that i've done imagine dragons it's been inspiring to me and i'm sure it will be at some point but for now i'm ready to like you know we have some more festivals and stuff but i'm gonna i'm gonna take a lot of time off i don't know how long that's gonna be but some indefinite amount of time until it feels like i want to go back and do that and it must just be nice to be able to chill here at home and it's the best you know feed the chickens and stuff. yeah take my girls to school like be a dad like i every day we wake up and i get to stick two twins in a double stroller and then walk with my little girl to school and drop her off and then you know walk the kids back and it's and change diapers and like i don't know just be a normal human but and it's i didn't get to do that with my first girl because we were raising her on the road and like it's crazy and then this last year that we went through was just crazy me and my wife went through a separation had like was just really heavy and but we got through it and so it's it's just it feels like 
been a long winter and like, but a beautiful winter with like amazing moments. But now like the sun's up and the flowers are out and it just feels, I don't know, I just feel really creative, creatively rejuvenated and just as a human, just like excited, you know? That's awesome. I think that's a perfect place for us to end. Thanks so much, Dan. Thanks for having me. Phillips. Hi, Hi friend. This is a new thing I'm doing in the pod where I, like I want to, because the great connector is just that we love music. Mm-hmm. You know, you can sort of like vibe with someone. I'm like, you get it. Yeah. You yeah, got that it's nerd so true. And you're one, of, you're one of them. Oh, man. And it used to be like, well, we're like of similar ages. It used to be because it was so hard to find good music. And it was like a very specific thing you had to go through when you were young yeah. to find good music. A commitment. It was a commitment. Hours at the local record store and or like where I had the first place that had listening stations I guess was like Virgin yeah so what as a little kid what was the first music that took your breath away elementary school vibes I was very into Madonna like a prayer and Debbie Gibson always trended toward women singers like always had that be the thing that spoke to me. And I have the interesting thing where I am a little sister. So I had an older sibling, my sister, who a lot of times like people would develop their musical taste based on what their older sibling like. I did like the opposite. <laughs> you dragged her into your taste? No, she, no, neither one. Like we yeah. ne- never the twain, sh- twain shall meet. Um, <laughs> no, my sister was very into like hair bands and like Def Leppard. Right. Like, that whole thing was like her vibe yeah and I was just Debbie Gibson and Madonna like a prayer all the way and Paul Abdul like all that well first of all like the like a prayer cassette tape I don't know if you remember this but Mm -hmm. it was scented like patchouli did you did you know that I did not know that Yeah, it was scented um (laughs) (laughs) and so it was it was a whole experience you had like a sensory overload and still to this day when I smell that specific patchouli I think of like a prayer but I remember listening to like Rush Rush by Paula Abdul the deep cuts in fourth and fifth grade dreaming about boys that would want to hold my hands and make out with me and then as I got older and shit happens the music that I gravitated toward still a lot of women like Ani DeFranco and Liz Fair Exile and Guyville and Tori Amos were my big ones and then we went into like the grunge vibes of you know Courtney Love I had the I had a real thing for her I cut my bangs and wore red lipstick and did you ever take music lessons as a kid was that a thing was there or there music in the was there music in the family not particularly yeah I mean I sing you know that right yeah yeah but when uh, did when did that start well because I did like musical theater stuff but it never occurred to me to to make my own music it never occurred to me to write music or make my own music I just was very I you know I'm like laser focused when I'm focused on something and then the rest of it is well we'll see but I <laughs> but I was just so laser focused on being an actor yeah that was my journey and I right. was convinced of it so I didn't waste my time doing anything else right. that I didn't feel would help me fulfill my ultimate goal right of super stardom but did you find that there was a feeling you got out of singing 
singing that was satisfying immediately. Yeah, still. Because you like singing, don't I you? I love singing. Yeah. I was actually just driving home and I was thinking because my talk show ended last week and um, we're, we have all these meetings and stuff, but I'm a little bit like floating in the next minute. And I thought, oh, I should do a show at Largo. Like I should do a variety show at Largo. Or, you should. Or the Ace while in this downtime. I was going to do it last summer, but then developing my show was just too much of an ordeal and I couldn't like take the time or space to do it. Like, have you ever seen... Peter Gallagher's one man show where he like sings and like goes through his life in song. No. Oh, oh my, my God. God. It is truly. I love him. Jenny. I don't know. I don't know when he's doing it like next or where it's going to be. It is truly one of the most stunning things you've ever seen in your life. Wow. Like it is bonkers. Also, that guy has crazy stories. Really? Yeah. So he like goes through. <laughs> Like, I might have been stoned too. Yeah. But it was like <laughs> transformative. I think Gillian Jacobs and I went to go see it probably six years ago. He's or a something. good singer, I'm guessing. Oh, he's got a beautiful yeah, voice. Of course he does. But anyway, Peter Gallagher's one man show. Maybe I'll do something like that. So where would you go? Where was the where was the local record store for you as a kid? Well, and, when, and when did you start to be like uh, discerning with yourself right, about what seek, you seeking out my own music? Yeah. Or feeling like you were defining yourself by what you were listening to. I mean, kind of go along with the pack a little bit. Um, my dad gave me my first Tori Amos CD when I was a freshman in high school. Um, and that was mind-blowing to me. He gave me Red House Painters and Tori. Songs for what? a blue guitar. Yeah. And Thanks, so that dad. yeah, so that was like wild. And then I wonder what made him pick He that. had heard them on NPR. Right. Yeah, he'd heard them on he listened cool. to NPR and he had like a long drive for his work and he thought that I would like those albums and he yeah. was he was right although that guy's since been canceled right so yeah fuck him Go, still a good record though I don't know I'm like I, at this point I'll cancel anyone and I never look back I don't need it yeah I don't need your art yeah. See ya. There's yeah. There's there's plenty, plenty there's, of other art from non-complicated, exactly humans. non-problematic. Individuals. Yeah, who are good. But then also, okay, wait. So I guess around eighth grade, we started taking the bus from Scottsdale down to Tempe, where ASU was, and going to Zia Records. Right. Zia Records in Tempe. Is Zia Records still there? I think it is. Oh, thank God. I feel like Zia still exists. Yeah. And Zia was like the place yeah. where you found it all out. And plus, you know, we were lucky because I lived very close to ASU and that's, you know, there was a lot of, I mean, gin blossoms are huge too, you know, because I was from there. Oh, shit. Yeah. Yeah. Did they like kind of do sort of a reunion recently? Did I make that up? Yeah. No, they did actually. They just toured that album. Right. I should know this because one of the Sirius XM channels sponsored that tour. Oh, sponsored. Okay. Yeah. That's like um, seventh, eighth grade for me. Yeah. That and like Spin Doctors. And I would listen. We would, I would stay up and watch 120 Minutes on MTV before you know but you you definitely because i'm because you're you identify as a weirdo yeah 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 for yeah. sure for sure not to uh not to take your identif- self-identification out of your no, hands but it's totally fine when did you start to feel like yeah like i'm finding weird music do you like what i you know like because because you have you, you're you have discerning taste in uh in music as yeah a, as i guess adult. also what shaped me like i was sort of like the 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 run-of-the-mill like 90s teen alt teen sassy magazine going to zia records like grunge vibes like nothing too deep or interesting and then that kind of moved into emo late 90s but then I went to Loyola Marymount University which has like the greatest college radio station KXLU yeah, yeah. and even though I was a theater major I kind of like became 
He's just going to stand outside with that leaf blower. Um, <laughs> even though I was a theater major, I kind of like became friends with all the KXLU kids because that's what I liked. Like, I didn't really, I mean, in so many ways, obviously, I identified as a theater kid, but really, like, the thing that I loved the most was music. Um, what do you think it when you're hearing a song is what hits you first, the the lyrics or the melody? Or what are the things that kind of stick with you the most in your favorite songs? It depends a little bit, but I like have to have an emotional hook, which hopefully has the drive of the music, like that thing carries you. But lyrically, I have to be able to like hook in at least a little. Although like, oh yeah, I remember when I loved Cigaros yeah. way back way back and like you, that was just made up words kind of yeah that's one of the shows I'll never forget seeing them play at Irving Plaza in New York the first time they came through and it wasn't it was maybe spring or summer it wasn't that hot but like people kept passing out I was standing near the back of the venue and they kept having to drag pe- people who had fainted out of the front of the show oh my god because I just think there was something like they were hitting certain frequencies that like tripped people that like made people faint that's it was wild crazy that's so crazy. But then, like, for a period of time, you you know, because I'm an actress, I was, like, always in weird cities. So, like, I missed a lot of shows in my early 20s. I was in Wilmington, North Carolina, doing Dawson's Creek. But luckily, there was this little record store there called CD Alley mm-hmm. that this cool dude, Fred, ran. And he had incredible taste. And, like, he would sometimes get in touch with bands that were going through Chapel Hill and playing at like Cat's Cradle or whatever and kind of ask them or convince them to just like take a two-hour detour to Wilmington and play in his apartment, like his loft apartment. So that's how I saw, I said, saw Desperacitos there Mm. or I went to Cat's Cradle to see them. I can't remember because that was once I got like sort of aware that I could drive to um, Chapel Hill occasionally Michelle and I would because oh because she was dating this guy who was in like a Chapel Hill band right and so we would like go and try to see oh my god what a time do you like the new national album oh my god how do they fucking do it I don't know but it's so good did you watch the short I haven't watched yet no I haven't watched that yeah is it starring somebody Alicia Vikander really yeah Yeah. it'll be be curious to see yeah I love I love that new album it's perfect for my mood right now it's perfect for this day oh shit sorry (laughs) (laughs) but like it's so funny I Mark and I were laughing in the car because we were listening to Sirius and they you know they're playing like the live concert yeah. thing. But well, we've seen them in concert a few times. And Mr. Lo- uh, Mr. November, Mr. November. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is that the name of it? Yeah, it is. Okay. Without every time he can't do the end of it, he's just screaming, yeah. and it is just like pure heart. Like it's not, you know what I mean? Oh yeah. He's not hitting the notes that you hear on the album. Yeah. It's like a wild screaming journey. Oh my God, he's so insane live. I mean, you would if you've never seen them live, you would think that they're very like mature and. No, no, no. And it's wild. buttoned up. And then he's just like, you're like, is he drunk? Is he just nuts? Is he yeah, the most charismatic hear... person I've ever seen? He all, could be. All of that. Is it a character? Like, I, I often have thought, is it a character? Is he, like, pl- doing a bit? Like, is he I playing a thing? I don't think they thing? know anymore right, right, right. Where, when Sometimes they're the character. that's a thing, right? 
I love it. It's my favorite part. I kind of do. Yeah, me too. Yeah, that's why I love um, Father John Misty. Yeah, too. it's just like if you forget when you're in character and when you're out of character, I, I then I truly believe in you. I know. It, oh, yeah. It's if so you can good. make a character and then forget how to leave the character. Well, that's my whole life, Jenny. Truly, <laughs> <laughs> like, you just described the last 10 years of my life. Well, I think that's probably an apt place for us to wrap Yay. up. Thank you so much for Thank doing you. this. Thank you. I'm so excited. Did we talk enough about music? We did. 